0: Hello and welcome to the Together Marketing Podcast. I am sat here with Stuart Constable, Head of Copy and Content, and Mike Singleton, who is a Senior Account Manager. I am Harry Radcliffe, the audio producer here at Together. Today we're going to be discussing what is a brand, and more importantly, what is a brand in 2019, because times have changed as they tend to do. I am no expert in this, who who knows if there are experts in this? But I've written down some thoughts. I'd like to pitch them to you guys, and you can say that's rubbish, or maybe we're onto something. First statement: A brand is a tribe. How do you feel about that?
1: Uh, I agree completely with that. I I think that is the defining characteristic of a brand, and I think it's the thing that uh, I was going to say most B two B marketers get wrong. Most marketers get wrong um, because they think they own their brand, and of course they don't. Uh, the brand exists in the minds of the customer um, you can make yourself look like something mm-hmm. and feel like something, but the customers will determine what your brand is and
2: you, you can you can try and influence that though right as, yes as a as a company your it's, it's your kind of responsibility to understand what you stand for and what you want other people to perceive you as right.
1: I agree. But quite often, you don't know what you stand for until your customers tell you. And I think that that is the, the, the challenge. You might set out with a set of values and as far as possible, live those values so that customers form an impression of what you're about and, and whatever loyalties they form. But if you cling to those values without recognizing how customers are responding to them mm-hmm. and what shape they take in a customer's mind, then you may actually start to drift away from your, from your tribe, as Harry puts it
0: when i was younger i used to watch top gear i'm sure you guys have Mm -hmm. seen it there was a moment on top gear where they were discussing who the least pleasant drivers were and what cars they drove at the time it was bmw a couple of years later they changed it to audi both of the times that that happened it changed my opinion of the car itself even though bmw cars are wonderful cars put together. The idea that the people driving them are bad drivers or, or pushy or something of the sort changed my opinion of the car. So does that lead to the fact that the brand is the sum of its users? The type of people that use a product is the type, is what the product is?
1: Mike, you drive an Audi. Talk about this. <laughs>
0: I am
2: aggressive. I am pushy. I... <laughs> it's
1: always been your defining characteristics.
2: <laughs> How do I answer that? that's i think that's a perception thing though isn't it it's, it's yeah. it kind of comes back to the but whole, is brand not perception it, it kind of yeah it is but i think the the greater appeal of an audi mm-hmm. or the the kind of groundwork that audi I'm going to use audi for example because i absolutely love audi cars the groundwork that they put in over the years and the research and the ref- refinement that they put into their vehicles in design and technology mm-hmm. and uh, and engineering um, is the reason why I, as an Audi driver, would go for it yeah. but if you don't, if you don't unnecessarily haven't looked into that or know much about that kind of heritage, mm. then maybe you would be swayed by um, an influencer who in this situation would be top gear. And yeah. I think that's why influencers are so important now, because as you say, so, someone it's, it's almost like pushing the, the kind of fresh level of interest, mm-hmm. the the kind of younger generation, which you are part of would be influenced by, because they don't know the heritage necessarily yeah. of a brand. So they might be influenced by things that they are seeing and therefore form an opinion based on that. So that's kind of where the root cause of a brand change could, could happen.
1: But I, I think it would be helpful, and you gave some very good rational left-brain reasons for liking uh, Audis, mm-hmm. and, of course, Audi is Vorsprung durch Technik, mm-hmm. which was a fantastic line, and they were much loved for that line mm-hmm. and, and highly regarded and, and in the days when BMW perhaps were... They were the ones that everyone, BMW, and Audi were the, actually, they were the nice people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and it is interesting that that perception has shifted. But you said, you know, I love Audis. Mm -hmm. You love Audis. I mean, I think that's the key to this discussion is unpacking that idea of loving this brand it's not just a rational choice there must be some other dimension of of connection there and i'm not even i'm not questioning it so what's that with you yeah there's an interesting phrase there that means something a lot
2: innately i I really love finding out how things work Mm. and um in doing so you kind of start digging deeper and deeper and deeper into the innovations throughout the years and, and all this sort of stuff
1: do you think that's typical of other audi drivers probably not well, I mean, I don't think you can make that assumption. Going mm-hmm. back to Harry's tribe, I think that actually mm-hmm. might be typical, especially a slightly older generation. when well, you're not that old, mm-hmm. but you—I mean, you remember Vorsprung durch Technik. Mm-hmm. I take it, you know. Yeah. Whereas Harry might not actually. No, no. Uh, um, and so that they've got that legacy. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much Iron Man affects their brand. You know, Harry? Do you have another question, <laughs>
0: Mike? You mentioned influencers, hmm. such as uh, in my case, it was. It was, uh, you know, Richard Hammond, he was my favorite back in the day. Uh Then I matured into a James May man. (laughs) My question is, is a brand a natural side effect of humans' inclination to give something personality or to humanize it? Do we give companies personalities and that is the brand? And if so, how much are the significant people of a brand or a company tied to that brand. For example, what is Apple without Steve Jobs? What is Tesla without Elon Musk? And if those people were to do something horrible, would we think differently of the brand? I personally think that we would. If, let's say, you know, Elon Musk was to murder someone, I think, oh, Tesla stocks would tank. In fact, Elon Musk went on the Joe Rogan podcast, smoked some wacky-backy, and Tesla stocks tanked. Temporarily,
2: I think defining a brand perception through stock markets is dangerous. You're right, um, because they're they're out for the, the stock markets are obviously an investment. There's people putting mm. a lot of money into it. Uh, naturally, if you've got a lot of money in something and some negative press comes out about that company, surrounding that company, mm-hmm. then you're going to back out of it. Yeah, but they're not necessarily the people that.
0: I 100% agree. That I think by becoming a meme, temporarily, that mm. picture of Elon, I think he did wonderful things for mm. the brand. But still, Elon is essential to the brand, this concept of this kind of wild mm-hmm. genius who's doing things. But, you know, is that true for other things? Is well, that you, an exception? You then have
1: to achieve crossover, don't you? I mean, there is that thing about whether or not Tesla could ever become a mainstream brand or whether it's always going to be slightly maverick because of the nature of the of the inventor and I have to say I don't think you can disregard stock markets as a measure of a brand because of course the analysts are thinking how is this going to affect sales how is this going to affect customer loyalty mm. and I'm not going to put my money into something that I think is not going to maintain its market share and not going to achieve growth so yes you'll always have your hardcore tribe of passionate supporters but that's not where you're your uh, profit is. You want the marginal profit of building something beyond that fundamental capital investment in building a, mm-hmm. a tribe. So I, I think they can be very fragile. I think they can be tied in. When you say they, do you mean brands? Brands yeah. generally. I also wonder, I mean. I think the question here and especially for for B2B marketers is what is the meaning and value of a brand in the B2B sector is there such a thing as a brand at all in the B2B sector given the kind of emotive uh, tribal language we've been using you know are there any right brain associations with Mm. brands in B2B I haven't got an answer to that question but that's why I'm putting it to the floor What, what do we think?
2: I actually think that you can achieve being a brand within the B2B space. You you know, you you see examples all the time. For example, uh, ThinkPad. There's a humongous following of of ThinkPad and and ThinkPad evangelists and and all this sort of stuff and and forums that are dedicated to them. And there are still a lot of IT managers out there that are, they, they will only go with ThinkPad. From that respect, there is a a buzz, there is a um, a kind of collective opinion that's being formed and and a a personality that's being given to Mm -hmm. ThinkPads as a a whole, as as, as a brand.
1: Actually, you're right, um, because we looked at this um, in terms of hyper-converged platforms as well Mm. for a couple of clients in different areas. And there's one particular case study that sticks in my mind, which was a vendor that sold a a, a platform to Harley-Davidson. And it, Harley-Davidson said, we want it built with our brand on it. We want it in the right colors, the casing in the right colors. And the story went as far as um, Harley-Davidson punched a hole in the wall of the data center, put in some bulletproof and burglar-proof glass, and framed this hyperconverged platform through the glass in the wall of the data center. That kind of means something. And I think, funnily enough, the, you know, the Harley-Davidson example is, for me, the benchmark for brand. Because the legend has it that it was Harley Davidson brand manager who stood up at a brand conference and said, yeah, Coke, not a bad brand. Yeah, McDonald's. Most people recognize it. Mine is a true brand because people tattoo it on their bodies. And for me, that is what we're talking about. It's where's that energy, that passion. And of course, actually, Lenovo do have a guy. Who's tattooed their brand on his body? He's that much of a passionate reseller and consultant. He's only a, uh, I say he's only, he's, he's one guy working in a local area in America, but he
0: thinks he loves it. Does that passion exist in the same way in the B2B space? During my thinking, I thought the decisions we're making in the B2B space are less about self actualization and more about survival. In businesses, you're just looking to stay in it. And when you're choosing a climbing harness, nobody says, do you have any Louis Vuitton ones? You want one that you are 100% sure is sturdy as anything. I thought to myself... The more superficial the product, the more essential the brand. In fact, to the point where the more superficial the product, the more the brand is the product. For example, people say when you're buying clothes, oh, you're just paying for the label. Well, that's, that might be true if I'm buying, if I'm buying a... Absolutely. A, you, you go.
1: You're going to buy it because you want people to know you've bought it.
0: At the other end of the spectrum, the product is the brand. In that if I am going to buy, let's say, um, antivirus software... It doesn't matter how good your branding is if I still get viruses. Because we're looking to survive, brands matter less because results matter more. And you can't be swayed by, I think, in a business business field, the feeling of a product as much as the results or the outcomes of a product.
1: Can you have a brand that doesn't have an emotional dimension to it, that is purely... A trust thing, which, I, I mean, trust is trust is an emotion. And emotion? I mean, half the challenges our clients have is shifting the incumbent provider of whatever product or mm-hmm. service it is. So if we're asking people to migrate from an on-premise uh, deployment to a cloud platform for one of our clients who's a cloud specialist, let's say, you know, you have got a lot of loyalty and trust. And exactly as you say, Harry, we rely on this for survival. So to make that kind of strategic migration decision is a huge ask yeah to that extent is that where brand really has a role in in this sector
0: do you think about brand when you're choosing your internet service provider I do now. Are you talking personally Yeah, or corporately? I went onto a website. I had, to, I had to recently get an internet service provider. I went onto a comparison website, and there was the internet service provider kind of logo in the left-hand column, the speed in the center, and the price on the right-hand side. And I did not care what was in the left-hand
1: column. Did you not look at reviews and things like that? I mean, Because I am an ardent advocate of Zen. I've championed Zen into at least two people. Is that right? Both of whom have thanked me for it. Oh. This is
2: Stuart asking for uh, some Zen sponsorship. <sighs> no,
1: I'm I'm fine. <laughs> they wouldn't do that. Anyway, they just they just sell you internet services. They are really good. And I didn't buy it on price because I wanted an internet service that wouldn't fall over. Mm. Um, So I find, strangely, that I am quite passionate and a a proven advocate of Zen internet. And I, I don't really know why. I think partly because they're called Zen and it sort of taps into my, you know, hippy-dippy side.
0: But what's interesting is, is not that you love it so much, but that you've, you're, you're not just a convert but an evangelist in that you will
1: try to uh, to recruit other people. Yeah, and, of course, evangelism and this may be useful in b2b as well because and we were talking about influencers Mm -hmm. if i've made a decision a purchase decision and this might be marketing 101 might you might sort of go, yeah what then i want other people to make the same decision because it makes me feel better about the decision i've made it confirms you yeah you're in a brandulist yes (laughs) (laughs) i mean and there's the other thing of course the old statement from buck rogers that used to run ibm even at Multi-billion-dollar data center purchase decision level. He says they buy with their gut first, and then they post-rationalize it with the money and the you know the business case and that kind of stuff. Mm. But he always believed, and he was an arch salesman, that the first thing is gut instinct.
2: You were saying that you you went with that provider because it was the most reliable Mm. option. Yes, and you didn't care about the price, right? I wouldn't say I didn't care, but it it
1: wasn't. a a defining factor in the decision it wasn't
2: okay so that is something that you frequently find in b2b is that people won't necessarily go for the cheapest option Mm -hmm. and they won't go for the most expensive option just because there needs to be a defining benefit that is important to the person that's going to be buying it right so a brand although i can have an opinion on a on a specific brand there are so many buying decisions because budgets are so tight and people are basically they they have multiple vendors to go and choose from the gut feel might be that they they will go for the one that they've always gone with or they might have to actually start proving the the business case and proving the the benefits to the overall company Mm. and that could be a variety of reasons but like you just said, the the main reason was reliability, and I think that a lot of that business as usual, keeping the lights on, is a very important thing, and that's that's the stuff that these people have to worry about. So I think I think you probably hit the nail on the head <laughs> by accident,
0: and that's <laughs> why and that's why the product is the brand when these decisions mm-hmm. are about
1: survival. So how do our B two B clients and how do we as an agency help our B two B clients turn that? kind of thinking and I think it's very solid. I love the survival thing. It sounds trivial and it sounds box shifty, but it absolutely isn't. Mm. It's about that human instinct. I mean, when we talk about digital transformation and innovation and, and the future and the cloud and all of that, it's still bound up with survival. It's not about the meaning of life. Mm. It's about how are we going to keep this thing running efficiently Mm -hmm. and profitably and competitively. It's a human instinct uh, just applied in a a business Mm. sector. Uh, And there's so many questions running through my mind about, you know, B2C, B2B, human to human. It's nonsense. This is B2B. People make business decisions on business bases. They Mm. may be human beings, but they won't buy something because they love it. They'll buy something because they love it and it works and it'll be the other way around. They love it because it works. The challenge I face as a copywriter, I've got to be careful here, we come across two phenomena. One is clients that love their brand so much they think they don't have to do anything cool or or effective except just say, hey, we're this company, yeah. aren't we great? Buy us. And you say, oh, you need something more than that, mate. The other side of it is they say, we've got this brilliant product, but it won't work if we use our brand guidelines. You need to do something special. And... Then you have to have a conversation and say actually your brand guidelines are probably the most powerful tool you've got and if you go against them you're going to throw away loads of marketing capital uh, just because you think you want to do something funky and you don't want to be tied down by those you know, people at brand who keep trying to hold you back. And I've never met uh, a person, at a brand, who was interested in holding back their marketing efforts. They want you to use that tool to its very best effect. And uh, as an agency, we often uh, find ourselves fighting brand battles and saying, no, this is a really powerful thing and you can use it. And it doesn't compromise the the proposition that you've got. It uh, only enhances it.
2: When I think of brand guidelines, I think of a PDF that has... You know fifty pages of uh, with with one key section on uh, on tone of voice, but do you think that that is based on solid quantifiable research, or do you think it 's more often than not assumed that that their brand is their brand?
0: I thought to myself whilst I was doing my my brand pondering that in the age of the internet, the brand is almost an organic substance. In that what is successful about your brand or what people perceive about your brand is what is liked and shared and spread. And what is unsuccessful about your brand, what people don't think about your brand, is not shared and is forgotten. Like a gene or, or like memes on the internet. Content is all coming from users. There's no way any company in existence can keep up with the content that the masses are generating every day. And the quality as well is so much higher. And therefore, I think it has the the baton has been passed to the users to decide how these things are perceived.
1: Uh, yes, I mean, and I think one of the best examples of that is uh, SpiceWorks, the um, forum for IT decision makers, um, who, last I heard and last I saw, have a very shrewd and uh, uh, effective way of regulating the discussion because the IT community values it as a service and a resource so much, and they will meet each other on there and they exchange views. It's a very open and honest environment. They're very, very protective of it, and they won't allow vendors to come on and go, Hey, and here's an advertisement and, or an advertisement, and we'd like to join in this discussion because we'd like to tell you about our new network switch. And, you, and they just, you know, you cannot do that. And the smart uh, vendors, are letting go of their egos if you like and saying being less protective about brand actually and just going in and having open and honest conversations in in communities like SpiceWorks, where they're saying oh have you found that oh god we're sorry that broke um we better go away and fix it we really apologize and we'll just let everybody else know here's a bug fix that you can all share
2: that's what a lot of b2c organizations are, are kind of learning isn't it because you have dedicated social accounts for like uh customer service mm-hmm. and they uh, the person who's manning that will obviously uh, announce who they are yeah. at the beginning of their their shift yeah so you know that you're talking to a person that works for that brand and i think there are ways that you can shape mold opinions based on conversations that you can have like like stuart was just saying you know you can have um uh open and honest discussions saying yeah really sorry hands up we uh, we didn't realize that that was an issue and now we do so we're going to go and do something about it and it's almost like organic branding isn't it
0: and i think that comes back to brands as personalities mm-hmm. and i think now we are in an age where we like honest people and we we will are willing to accept flawed people and you can come forward and say, oh, yeah, we, uh, we made a mistake there. Uh, we'll, we'll just undo that. And we would like honest people rather than perfect people.
1: So um, how does uh, this uh, exploration of concept of brand and uh, customer relationships translate into a way of helping our clients make their digital transformation proposition more compelling than somebody else's? People want in the business sphere, someone that they can
0: reach out to and be heard by. Someone that will make the best product they can and stand by that as opposed to pushing the fact that we are this, we're so cool, they want something that works. If something doesn't work, they would like you to step forward and say, hey, we have just realized that this can be improved and we're going to do that. But they'd like to be a teammate as opposed to, I think, a, a customer, perhaps.
1: Yeah, I would completely agree with that, yes. And I think, I think it comes down to confidence, actually. I think if you're an organization uh and i think you see it in organizations of huge size they lose confidence in themselves Mm. and they say oh we need to start behaving in this way or doing that because people don't believe in us anymore Mm -hmm. um and i think the problem is not that they don't believe in you you don't believe in you so what you need to do is say okay we're really good at making this product or providing that service and focus first of all on being really good at doing it Mm -hmm. and then as Mike says you know being responsive when it turns out that you weren't as good as you thought you were and people start saying help and if you focus on that then your brand will emerge by default I think Mm. and people will form an impression of you and it won't be that everybody's really good at doing what they do so they're all reliable so all brands are reliable it'll be I like them because they do that that way because if you do what you're really good at in the way that you're best at doing it. It will be unique to you, and you can't force it. You just have to live it and let it emerge and trust your customers to go with it. And don't lose sight of it, and don't lose confidence in it and try and dodge round it when you're producing, you know, the 50th marketing campaign that features this brand. You know, Vorsprung, Dirk Technic. God knows how many years that ran for. So it's just about believing in what what you're company stands for what your technology and your your skill set stands for and then living that and then just nurturing the relationship with the customer so that the brand flourishes in that context
0: thank you so much for joining us today gentlemen I think that was a fantastic conversation. I'm very glad that it happened.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
0: I'll say to our listeners that this was the season finale of season one. It's been an absolutely wonderful experience doing season one, and we've had a great time with it. I think we've all benefited, and I hope you have as well.